1: Today we're going to talk about Fox News' internal communications getting exposed in the Dominion lawsuit showing that they knew the conspiracies they were spewing surrounding the 2020 election were bogus. I interview Adam Frisch about his race against Lauren Boebert and how he plans on turning what was the closest race in 2022 into a win in 2024. And I'm joined by the host of the How We Win podcast, Steve Pearson, about his run for California State Assembly District 44, how being a progressive podcast host will inform what he'd do in office, and whether listener feedback played a role in his decision to run. I'm Brian Tyler Cohen, and you're listening to No Lie. So the big story this week and a big story moving forward is Dominion's lawsuit against Fox News. Dominion is suing Fox for $1.6 billion after Fox defamed the voting system company by falsely claiming that it was switching votes from Trump to Biden as part of some you know, coordinated effort to steal the 2020 election. Another company, Smartmatic, is also suing Fox for $2.7 billion. And that lawsuit seems to be moving forward as well. But for now, I want to focus on Dominion specifically because, as part of discovery and testimony, we now have insight into what a bunch of Fox hosts and top executives were saying behind the scenes. So according to the filing from the lawsuit, quote, from the top down, Fox knew the Dominion stuff was total BS, yet despite knowing the truth or at a bare minimum, recklessly disregarding that truth, Fox spread and endorsed these outlandish voter fraud claims about Dominion, even as it internally recognized the lies as crazy, absurd and shockingly reckless. So this all started when Fox News correctly called Arizona for Joe Biden. Uh, That sent Donald Trump into a tailspin. And so Fox's competitors like Newsmax, like OAN capitalized on that and peppered the airwaves with what conservative audiences wanted to hear, which was that Arizona didn't go for Biden and that the election was rife with fraud and that Dominion and Smartmatic were flipping votes from Trump to Biden, basically any conspiratorial bullshit to explain away Trump's loss. And so because Fox was horrified of losing market share to these competitors, they had to tack right and spew the same conspiratorial bullshit that they knew, like operative word knew, was false. And so Fox became this way station for these crazy actors like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Mike Lindell to come on air and pepper the airwaves with stuff like this. Not only did they use a Venezuelan company to count our ballots, which almost should be illegal per se. uh, Number two, they didn't allow Republicans in key places to observe the, the mail vote. That makes the mail vote completely invalid. Now, they didn't do it everywhere. THEY DID IT IN BIG CITIES WHERE THEY HAVE CORRUPT MACHINES THAT WILL PROTECT THEM. MEANING, IN PENNSYLVANIA, PHILADELPHIA, AND PITTSBURGH, IN DETROIT. THEY they DIDN'T HAVE TO DO IT IN CHICAGO in NEW YORK OR BOSTON. THEY COULD HAVE. THEY HAVE CORRUPT MACHINES THERE. They, THEY DID IT ABSOLUTELY IN PHOENIX, ARIZONA. THEY DID IT ABSOLUTELY IN MILWAUKEE, WISCONSIN. REPUBLICANS WERE SHUT OUT. WE'VE GOT
2: EVIDENCE OF CORRUPTION ALL ACROSS THE COUNTRY IN COUNTLESS DISTRICTS. The machine ran an algorithm that shaved votes from Trump and awarded them to Biden. They used the machines to trash large batches of votes that should have been awarded to President Trump. And they used the machine to inject and add massive
3: quantities of votes for Mr. Biden. With this particular thing that's going on now, I've been all in trying to find the machine fraud and we found it. We have all the evidence. So all these all these outlets that have been calling me from the Washington Post, New York Times, every every outlet in the country, they go, Mike Lindell, there's no evidence and he's making fraudulent statements. No, I have the evidence. I dare people to put it on. I dare Dominion to sue me because then it would get out faster. And yet while these people
1: were going on Fox's air, thanks to this lawsuit, we now know what Fox's own hosts and executives were saying. Tucker Carlson had texted Laura Ingram at one point and said, Sidney Powell is lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane. To which Ingram responded, "Sydney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. And then Tucker responded to that. Our viewers are good people and they believe it. Meaning that he knew that the viewers believed the same stuff that he was currently condemning is bullshit. And yet still they put it on air. Gary Schreier, who is the senior vice president of programming for Fox Business, said that Mike Lindell was on the crazy train with no brakes. Laura Ingram said that Rudy was, quote, such an idiot. Hannity said that he's acting like an insane person, referred to him as an effing lunatic. A Lou Dobbs producer called him so full of shit. Then there was one of Laura Ingram's producers who said, this Dominion shit is going to give me a fucking aneurysm. As many times as I've told Laura it's BS, she sees shit posters and Trump tweeting about it. Even Fox chairman Rupert Murdoch called Trump's voter fraud claims, quote, really crazy stuff and damaging. CEO Suzanne Scott said, "Uh, terrible stuff damaging everybody, I fear. She also said, quote, the audience feels like we crapped on them and we have damaged their trust and belief in us. We can fix this, but we cannot smirk at our viewers any longer. So if you were wondering whether these people knew what they were doing, you don't have to guess because they're quite literally admitting it here over and over and over. We know how they felt because they spoke about it openly. And yet at no point, never did they admit as much on air. In its court filing, Dominion said that not a single Fox witness had testified that they believed any of the allegations about Dominion. And yet, did that stop them from trotting out Giuliani and Powell and Lindell, who were making these allegations in the first place? Clearly not. Now, in their filing, repeatedly, Fox tried to hide behind this claim of newsworthiness. They released a statement saying, quote, there is nothing more newsworthy than covering the president of the United States and his lawyers making allegations of voter fraud. But two things here. First, they were a principal player in making the allegations. So it's ridiculous for them to claim that they're just following a newsworthy topic when part of the reason that it's newsworthy is because these Looney Tunes kept putting it on air. It's just blatant circular logic here. And second, they didn't just cover the president making allegations of voter fraud, they perpetuated it. Fox wasn't some neutral arbiter here. They were a character in this. And in fact, when a Fox reporter did try to fact check one of Trump's baseless tweets about this stuff, she was attacked. Reporter Jackie Heinrich tweeted that there was no evidence of voter fraud from Dominion. And in response, text messages show that Fox hosts and executives lobbied to get her fired. Tucker Carlson texted Hannity, please get her fired. Seriously, what the fuck? I'm actually shocked. It needs to stop immediately like tonight. Carlson said that he, quote, just went crazy on executive vice president Mead Cooper over it. Hannity said he'd already mentioned it to CEO Suzanne Scott. Scott then told uh, Fox President Jay Wallace and the senior vice president for corporate communications that Heinrich, quote, has serious nerve doing this. And if this gets picked up, viewers are going to be further disgusted. So when Fox tries to issue this defense that they were simply showing the news and that they can't be penalized for doing so, just know that that is not at all what they were doing. They weren't just showing the news. They were shaping the news by virtue of showing one specific narrative and then punishing reporters who dared show a different narrative. One that, one that happened to be the reality here. So in this case, the burden is on Dominion to prove actual malice, which means that Dominion has to show that Fox acted either with knowledge that what it was broadcasting to the public was false or that it acted with reckless disregard of the truth. Normally, uh, defamation is a super high bar to clear. And I'm not a lawyer, but it looks like they've already done it. Fox knew that it was broadcasting bullshit because all of these people from hosts to the literal chairman of the network are all on record acknowledging as much. Rudy and Powell and all this crazy cast of rotating characters had carte blanche to appear on that network, and they did. They served this, quote, deeply damaging disinformation on a daily basis, all because Fox was so afraid of losing market share to Newsmax. So they would rather knowingly serve up straight lies to their viewers than risk having their market share go down, like just abject, outright contempt for the people that they claim to serve. So look, I know that I'm not going to be able to break through to any Fox News viewers. They, they are, they're not listening to the show. They're not watching anything that's not Fox. But if you have a friend or family member who is down that rabbit hole, show them this. Or, or if they won't listen to this, show them the court filings. Show them the quotes by Hannity and Tucker and Ingram, all conceding how full of shit their guests were, who they themselves trotted out regardless. Show them the quotes from Rupert Murdoch himself. The fact is that Fox may pretend that it hates the left, but to be perfectly honest, There is no one that Fox has more contempt for than its own viewers.
0: Next up is my interview with Adam Frisch. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over seventy-five dollars. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.
1: Okay, now we have Lauren Boebert's opponent in Colorado's third congressional district, Adam Frisch. Thanks so much for coming back on. Ooh, Brian, glad to be back with you. That's for sure. You came within just over five hundred votes of Lauren Boebert in this past twenty twenty two cycle. It was, if I'm not mistaken, the closest. Race in 2022. What are you going to do differently from 2022 to 2024?
3: Yeah, no, thanks, Brian. Great to be back. Yeah, no, 538. Thought we were going to lose by 45,000 votes, and we lost. We came up short by 546. Closest race uh, in the country. Again, we're the only one that has a chance to defeat a true extremist in Congress. So that's what we're working on. Um, you know, with with due respect, because we did so well, you know, we can improve a little bit here or there around the edges. But I think we proved to the world that we can execute a good plan and so we're going to continue to focus on that people want the circus to stop uh um I want to join the bipartisan problem solvers caucus um people are really excited to see that angertainment industry go away that her Marjorie Taylor Greene represent uh so great And, you know, people, especially in Western Colorado, they just want to be left alone and they're exhausted by the national political yelling and screaming. The only arguing I want to see in D.C. are people arguing over the successes of bills that get passed and who gets credit for that versus arguing over who's to blame. And so what we have now is the gift of time. You know, last time I announced in mid-February of election year, I had to get over a primary, respectful but tough. And basically I had from July to the start of November to introduce myself to a lot of people against a true uh, brand name person, if you will. And now one of the reasons we want to get in this early in the game is we can just do that much better getting out in the field and meeting those people that we need to vote for us. Our district, half the size of Colorado, bigger than the state of Mississippi, bigger than 20 states. We'll just be driving around and having a chance to meet a lot of people. The district's only 25% Democratic, and we got 49.98% of the vote, or something like that. And so, again, we've earned the trust of a lot of independents and a lot of Republicans, and we're just going to hammer the road and making sure that we hold her feet to the fire about the bills that are important to the voters of CD3 and not allow her to get away with just kind of all the shenanigans uh, that she's up to all the time.
1: Now, obviously you're gonna get out there and you'll retool and figure out what ways you can tweak to make sure that you have a better chance in 2024. Yeah. But then again, so will she. So what do you anticipate her doing now that it's clear that this seat is vulnerable?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, we did not wanna take people by surprise, but we took people by surprise. I tried to let uh, you know the people in DC uh, and the donor base and the media that we actually were gonna have a close race. And we got a lot of phone calls that election week, uh, basically apologizing. And no grudges hold. I appreciate when you look at an R nine to R fourteen district, you don't see there's a hope. But you know, we worked our butt off and we connected with people. Um, you know, I, I I'm not sure about you and your viewers, but I'm pretty much the same person I've been for a really long time. And we're making a bet that Lauren Bobert's going to remain the same person that she's been for a really long time. Yes. And you've seen some, I would say, some professional press releases for the first time ever come out of her campaign since we started to announce over the past couple of days. And so I do believe her team is going to try to take the job more seriously, and they're going to try to have her take the job more seriously. But, you know, I think we all know who we are uh, and who Lauren Bobard is, is one of the reasons that she had one of the worst performing uh, results in out of the 435 people running for Congress last cycle.
1: With that said, you know, she did win that race by the skin of her teeth, and one of her first acts was to release a video in response to the $1.7 billion omnibus bill to fund the government, and basically she equated that bill with efforts to sexualize children. So with that said, you know, does it seem like she was successful at coming across as having moderated her positions?
3: It's not just what I believe. I spent the last the last five or six weeks, and why I decided to get in the race earlier than normal was because I heard from a lot of people that voted for her: cattlemen, ranchers, uh, people in the oil and gas industry, and they thought that there'd be a little bit of humility when you had the worst performing race in the entire country. Yeah, uh, and she's she's doubled down within a day or two of of winning. Uh, she talked about uh, leading with grace um on a video that she made and then you know it doesn't take very much longer where she's yelling and screaming at this oversight committee at the twitter executives about why she uh didn't have as many followers as she deserves uh in a very disruptive way so again the people out here in cd3 think that she's just doubled down and those are people that voted for her again and just are shaking their head that she's just not focused on the job it's that anger tainment industry that she loves to partake in, which might be good for her fundraising, but it's not good for the district. And a lot of people are seeing through that more and more.
1: You know, you mentioned before that your district is composed of about 25% of Democrats. So obviously, a big key to any victory in this district is going to be getting support from Republicans, even if you yourself are not a Republican. Uh, Have you heard from Republicans in particular
3: in that congressional district who have encouraged you to run? Yeah, no, I mean, again, the last five or six weeks, I was at a Cattlemen's association meeting of Colorado. I was at a a, a rule voices of Colorado made up of about 56 of the 64 counties in Colorado that are rule focused and a lot of people came up to me and said, hey, listen, Adam, either they voted for me and they kind of kept it under their breath, or they didn't vote for me, but they liked me and they thought that if she had a close race, at least she would kind of reset and uh representative bobart has not reset in the eyes of a single person i've talked to and again the majority of the time i've spent the last five or six weeks i've kind of just been listening uh to those those republicans conservative and moderates they just want the circus to stop and they just don't see her as a serious person and before you get into policies um it's important to get into how you treat people and the character and character matters
1: with that said you know a big part of this is going to be what somebody does once they're actually in office you know the circus aside so what will you do differently from her if you're elected to to serve that seat like what are your priorities once
3: in office yeah no i don't want to take the job seriously you know water is number one issue in western and southern colorado uh and then you have ranching and ag and domestic energy production and those are the four buckets that i'd want to spend time on and i give her credit for actually getting involved in the natural resources A committee. Although, instead of getting on the Agriculture Committee, which is in the midst of a once-every-six-year farm bill, which is very important to a lot of people in CD3, she decided to join this Oversight Committee, which has kind of turned into the Ghost and Goblin Committee of Chasing Conspiracy Theories. Uh, And even though she's on this other committee that is good for the district, all of her fame and fortune and her interest and where her heart really is, is kind of chasing that. So I always want to get on, you know, these quote-unquote boring committees that are about agriculture and ranching and farming and just diving in and doing the work and making sure that the ranchers and farmers and recreation and the conservationists have the water in the Western Slope as well as in Southern Colorado. And it's the less sexy committees that are important to our district uh, that she does not want to spend time on. The other bucket is I'm want to gonna fight for every dollar that I can come back to CD3 because the men and the women and the businesses pay a lot of money in taxes to Washington, D.C. And bobert has made it very clear that she does not want to bring that money back home i'm not exactly sure why because it is the residence of cd3 that she's supposed to represent in theory and if that money's not coming back here it's going to denver it's going to detroit it's going to the rural aspects of florida or the rural aspects of california And I would love to see that money come back here so it can get invested into rural broadband, more infrastructure, rural health care. Mental health is really, really troubling in Western and Southern Colorado. And I want to have those funds show up here with local control.
1: The at-large district in Alaska had been long represented by Don Young, who was a Republican. Mary Peltola won that seat recently running a race on on local issues, on on fish basically was her number one issue. Do you think that there is an acknowledgement by even even constituents who are longtime Republicans that if you have one party who's interested in governing and you have another party who thinks that government is the problem and that there's nothing that could benefit constituents just from government itself, do you think that they're realizing that that approach where, you know, the the burn it all down approach is not actually helping them when you compare it to, you know, a party that actually views um, the whole process as a way to help their constituents
3: yeah you know i think for the vast majority of people brian not people that are on twitter nine hours a day but the vast majority of people aren't looking at team red and team blue they're trying to figure out Who's going to focus on making their life a little bit easier? And that is trying to fight inflation, making sure that there's a safe community, safe schools. Schools are well funded, that there's good, stable jobs, that people are treated with respect. And those that either temporarily or longer term need a little help because they can't do it themselves, the government is there to, to provide some type of basic safety net for them. And it's just kind of neighbor to neighbor stuff, which is, you know, treat your neighbor as you want to be treated. It's the golden rule. And a little bit more of just that common sense is what I think Mary did a really good job focusing on. Marie Perez in Washington did a really good job of focusing on that. And we in CD3 did a really good job focusing on that as well. And that's the story and the methodology that we want to continue to bring from now and through the November of 2024 when Lauren Bober has to start packing up her office. How does your pitch differ
1: depending on who you're talking to, whether you're talking to, I assume, those who are Democrats in a place like Aspen versus, you know, more conservative uh, voters in more rural parts of the district?
3: No, it's an interesting question, Brian. I've spent a lot of time talking about this. There's a lot of hard things about running for federal office, especially in a district that is half the state of Colorado, especially against running uh, against such an extremist like Representative Bobart. The easy thing for me, by far and away, is what I believe is a dad and a husband and the small business owner way before I thought about getting into national politics is exactly what I shared with the Democratic primary voters, which are pretty darn liberal, a lot more liberal than I am, uh, and is exactly the same story and issues and focuses I told to a general voter base that had 25% D and 31% R and 43% unaffiliated. And I think people saw, even though they might not agree with every issue I talked about, there was this conversation about authenticity and sincerity. And I think a lot of voters up in Alaska, whether they're D's or R's, saw um, Mary Patola as a sincere and authentic person. And I think with humility, a lot of people that normally don't vote for a Democrat saw me as authentic and sincere. And when they see what the alternative is, those are not the two words that come to mind.
1: Yeah, I think that's perfectly put. Adam, how can we help your campaign?
3: Well, uh, thanks, Brian. I mean, I, my website's right down there, adamforcolorado.com. We obviously always need support. I don't say this with pride, but it's going to be an expensive race. Uh, you know, $5, $10, 3300 dollars It's literally all great. Um, Adam for Colorado is on Twitter. Please follow us, send in money, and then just let people know uh if you have friends and neighbors that live in western and southern Colorado to reach out. We try to get back to everybody. Info at AdamforColorado.com or even Adam. For Adam at Adam and we just want to connect with people, but the moral support is great. Um, I wish there were more opportunities to see some of these uh, Marjorie Taylor greens and Jim Jordan's defeated. But then the day, Brian, we, we are, and I don't, you know, we are the only Candidate running against the only extremist that has a chance of losing. So for those that live in district, by all means, support your local congressperson, even if it's an uphill battle, but to those people that are kind of spreading their support and interest nationally. uh, Please look into us and you'll see that we actually have a really good track record of being able to deliver with those monies that come in and we thank everyone for your time and interest and just supporting us and following us uh, is a big help as well. Awesome. And Adam, this will not be the last time that I have you on here. But uh, for
1: now, thank you so much. And uh, good luck as you continue out this campaign for the next year and a half here.
3: That's great, Brian. Have a great day and best of the viewers.
1: Okay, now we've got the host of the How We Win podcast and now candidate for California State Assembly District 44, Steve Pearson. Thanks so much for joining.
2: Thank you, BTC. So good to be here and see your face.
1: You too. And I should mention for anybody listening that that Steve helped me get my start. Uh, So, you know, this is we're all coming full circle here. My first my first foray into interviewing was uh, was with the help of Steve. So I, I appreciate that.
2: That's super generous, overstating any contribution I made to the great platform that you built and I don't even know if you want to tell your listeners who that first interview was with, too. It,
1: it, well, now I have to. <laughs> it was
2: uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was the mooch. It was Anthony
1: Scaramucci, and that interview never aired. I mean, it was you know it was uh, my first foray into interviewing, so I don't know if uh, if uh, that would have been the best listening experience for everybody. But <laughs> in any case, you know, it got got me got me into the door. So
2: it was a very interesting experience yeah. having the mooch in the room. I. Wasn't crazy about it, to be honest. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think I think that was clear. <laughs>
2: so, all right. So let's yeah, let's jump I don't in have here. a poker face at all. <laughs> yeah.
1: So let's jump in here. You are one of the first people in this progressive media space to kind of parlay that into a run for office. Did listener feedback play a role in your decision to run? Or was the same interest in politics that led you to start a podcast has now led you to run for office?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question. Um I guess a little bit of both. I mean, um, I'm sure you get it all the time. People asking you, when are you going to run for office? Um, And, you know, I'll I'll ask you that question next. But, um, you know... I've been looking since Trump was elected. I consider myself class of uh, 2016, right? Um, And I started organizing with Swing Left here in Southern California and, and built Swing Left here and built the Blue Wave with a bunch of great grassroots organizers. And ever since then, I've just been looking at where I can make the biggest impact and where I can be the most helpful and help people's lives. And I got into podcasting because I wanted to uh, let people know that they have power, they have agency to make change if they just step outside of their comfort zone a little bit and take action. And um, it's been a a wonderful organizing tool and I've uh, had a lot of reach and and a lot of great partnerships with people like you. Um, But when this opportunity to serve my own community at this level uh, came up, it, it was just too compelling to turn my back on. Um, I've been telling people on the show and, and other, other places how important it is to get involved in your own community and even run for office. So, um, you know, I've got to walk the way I talk and, and step up when the, when the chance presents itself. So, um, so that's, that's why I'm running. Uh, it, it's really just an awesome, awesome opportunity to make a, a real impact on people's lives. And, and that's, that's what I'm in for.
1: And what's the what's the deal with your district? Who's representing it now, and uh, and and why? You know, how does that how does that factor into you running?
2: Well, it, it's the, a very well publicized uh, domino effect that starts with Adam Schiff running for Senate, and uh, and that opens up his congressional seat. And my great Assembly member Laura Friedman is one of the candidates running for his congressional seat. So that leads open this, uh, assembly seat. And, um, it's, it's a place where I've lived for almost 30 years and raised my daughter. And, um, and it's a great diverse, uh, district with a lot of different communities here. And, um, I'm just, you know, really excited to, uh, to, for the opportunity to serve my home. Are you still going to be able to host your podcast if you're elected? Uh, well, that's a good question. The, the election, uh, like I would start serving, you know, uh, Late November, 2024, right? So um, there's a lot of podcast episodes to do before that <laughs> happens. Yeah. Once I'm in the legislature, I I probably, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I think it'll probably be difficult to do the podcast and, and to serve at the same time. But up until then, I'm fully doing the show, continuing to do it. And also I'm thinking about doing like a, a how we run sort of behind the scenes of what it's like running for office, because I've never done anything like this before. I've worked on a lot of campaigns, but as soon as I became a candidate, every day I learn new things. I find I'm mostly learning what I don't know about running for office every day. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff there.
1: How does being a political podcast host inform what you'll do in office? Like How will, how will your candidacy and hopefully your election be different because of what you're doing right now?
2: Hmm, that's a good question. I think um, one thing that I've been able to do over three and a half years of my show is, is listen to a lot of experts and a lot of um, diverse uh, opinions on the issues that are impacting everybody right now. Uh, so I, I like to think that that makes me uh, very well-rounded and well-informed. As, as for like, for me, the podcasting was always an organizing tool. And I think that's what kind of makes our show a little bit different. Uh, my whole reason for putting the show together was to get people into action, was to inspire them into action, and to help build this progressive movement. And uh, and you know, and I'm sure your listeners know that to get big things done, you need two things really. You need uh, elected officials with the will to take the tough votes and to get up there and and, and do the big things. And you need public sentiment. You need uh, people behind them making noise and putting pressure on the other elected officials, too. And that's what I've been doing Really, since 2017, is bringing people together, uh, either organizing on the streets and organizing campaigns, or through the podcast, and and that's the kind of organizing persistent spirit that I'm going to bring to Sacramento. Now, you'll be hopefully
1: joining an assembly that is, you know, largely democratic. Uh, I imagine that there's not a lot of pushback when it comes to passing progressive legislation. But you know, is there like a completely unorthodox piece of legislation that you would like to see passed, like? Beyond the usual stuff that we hear about, like, is there one weird kind of pet project or something that 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 you go into the assembly wanting to push forward?
2: A weird pet project. Um, uh, I would like to make oat milk the official milk of California. That's (laughs) (laughs) That's what what, I don't
1: think you're going to I don't think you're going to encounter too much pushback on that one.
2: Well, I don't know, about the dairy farmers might—you know—they'll run an IE against me. There'll be a strong uh, dairy yeah. lobby against. Well, me. Well, you'll
1: do fine in your district. I
2: can <laughs> tell you
1: that much. I don't think there's a whole lot of two percent milk drinkers out by, uh, by where we are.
2: <laughs> but um, but I will push back on on that. It's, it's really really exciting to be a progressive coming into the supermajority, no doubt. And uh, I'm excited for the ability to really do some big impactful things, uh, especially in the context of a federal government that's not gonna be doing much uh, in the next few years, at least. Um, and uh, and so we can really make a big difference on people's lives. Uh, I will say there's still a lot of um, fossil fuel money and interests, uh, even among Democrats in the legislature. and. Um, you know, we need every progressive voice that we can get up there to pass the big things like uh single payer. We've got to pass CalCare. That's very, very personal to me. Um, my daughter was born uh, three and a half months early. She was a preemie. She was just a pound and a half when she was born. Yeah. And and uh, because of our great union health insurance, uh, we had incredible care for her. and um, And she's now thriving she's 20 she's in college she's doing great but that would have completely ruined us if we didn't have great health insurance through our union and too many people are one injury or one illness away from complete ruin too many people are making the choice between taking their medicine paying for medicine and paying their rent and that should not happen in the fourth largest economy of the in the world which is california so you know CalCare, we, we, we've got to get that done. It looks like it's going to get kicked to 2024, which means I would have the opportunity to um, to be part of that pushing for single payer in California and, and creating that example for the rest of the country. So that's really exciting,
1: especially on that note in particular. What are some market differences between you and your current uh, assembly member?
2: Well, I love my current assembly member Laura Friedman's terrific. Uh, She's especially uh, really strong on the environment. And that's something that I I definitely don't want to let that go. I want to pick up where she's where she's been doing this incredible work, but we also need to go farther. And faster on the environment. So, um, you know, she gets an A plus rating from basically every metric there is on the environment. So uh, I I hope to get an A plus 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 (laughs) rating on that because we have so much important work to do and California leads, but we can be doing much more. Um, I'm probably a little bit more progressive uh, than her on some other issues, but um, she's a friend and she's spectacular and uh, she's got some, you know, those are big shoes to fill and uh, I, I aim to do it.
1: Steve, do you ultimately want to run for Congress?
2: Do you want to follow
1: along with this domino effect
2: that we're seeing right now? I think this is a good time for me to pivot to asking you when you're going to run. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I've I've been asked that a lot, uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, because we're, we're in the same boat here. I, I don't think I would run for office. I think I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I think it's important to continue bolstering, like, the progressive media ecosystem. I think we're contending with a giant adversary on the right, and it's really well-funded, and it's really well-coordinated. And it spans all the way from Fox News, which, you know, we found out just... This past week was spewing all these lies about the election, even though all of their uh, primetime hosts knew better. So, I mean, it is just a coordinated disinformation effort from top to bottom. And so I think it's important to, you know, to make sure that we have a lot of voices uh, kind of doing our thing in the media. Uh, and and I know also a, a big part of that is that we have really talented, passionate uh, effective people like you who are running and who are serving right now. And I think uh, I think, you know, as long as we have people like you who do do a good job regardless, then, you know, I feel like uh, like I, I can do more in the space that I'm in right now.
2: Well, um I always encourage people to to serve if they have the opportunity but I'll tell you something the work that you're doing is is unbelievably important and uh, and you know I'm I I a true believer in everything you just said there's a a battle going on in the media space and the alternative media space and and the republicans own it they are owning it and Thanks to the work of, of people like you and especially you, uh, we, are, we are taking over some of that, that field and, and we have to because it's uh, pivotal to the future of our democracy. So, um, so thank you for doing that work. And I will answer your question. Uh, I, I, have, I have zero political ambition and that's a dumb thing to say. For someone who's running for, for politics, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And, and everyone's going to listen to this and think, that guy's just so full of shit right now. But, um, but you know, I, I really thought that I was going to continue on in progressive media space or maybe work for another organization like Swing Left, like I used to work for Swing Left. Um, but this opportunity just came up to serve and it just felt like an awesome opportunity. Uh, I want this job. That's what I'm – that's what I'm uh, – you know, running for. I'm running to serve uh, my state and my community. And um, and that's what I want to do.
1: Steve, we have uh, a while until this election comes up. So first yeah. of all, why did you choose to announce right now uh, so early? And also, how can we help your campaign as we move forward?
2: I love that question. Um, of course, it sadly, it's not early to announce. I mean, um, it's Egregious and ridiculous uh, these campaign cycles and and what you know what it takes to run for office for state office should be like a three month deal right you okay. know um, I mean that seems reasonable uh, but uh, you know you have to get in early you have to uh, start fundraising you have to start you know meeting people and 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 launching your campaign so early it's really hard I work a full time job I I work as a sound engineer in a in a studio that's my day job right now. Um, and juggling all this, it's uh, it's impossibly difficult. Uh, it takes up so much time, but it only steals my resolve more to keep doing it because it shouldn't be this hard for someone who works and lives in their community to step up and and seek to serve their community. There's a reason why independently wealthy millionaires and billionaires keep serving in office because they can afford to take a year off and just you know run for office for a year without yeah. working. Um, I don't have that luxury, and I, I feel like our community needs to be represented by someone who understands what it is to to work and live and struggle and succeed and uh, and just be in the community. So. Um, Yeah. So anyway, how people can help out, uh, please go to PearsonForCalifornia.com. It's a grassroots movement. Like I said, it's people powered, just like we organized with Indivisible and Swing Left. We're organizing on the ground for this. So every uh, donation that you make um, would be greatly appreciated. It doesn't have to be small. We want to show that we have a, a good wide I mean, did I say small? It doesn't have yeah. to be small. It can be large if you want. That's fine. We <laughs> will deign it do- <laughs> to allow you to donate as much as you want as We will, as will you allow want. you to max out if you, if you want to do that. Um, but we will also be really appreciative of even a few bucks just to show that we have broad support and, and that we're building this movement together. So uh, it's pearsonforcalifornia.com. Go ahead and max out. And Steve, we'll we'll also put that link in the show notes of this
1: episode. And I would just say to anybody listening right now, Steve is as good a person as you could possibly find if you are looking for good people to serve. it doesn't get better than him. So uh, regardless of where you live, whether you're in California's uh, the Assembly 44th District or anywhere else in this country, and you want good progressive Democrats to take office, people who care, people who are passionate about this stuff, uh, Steve can can really uh, use the help here. And uh, and and even if you can amplify his voice, if you're not in this district, that would help too. So Steve, with that said, thank you so much. And uh, where, can, where can my listeners hear more from you?
2: Well, you can uh, find me on social Pearson for CA uh, at Pearson for CA. And you can also tune into my podcast every week. Um, If you if you just can't get your fill of Steve, then uh, every week I'm there uh, interviewing great people like Brian Tyler Cohen and others. So, um, you know, join me at how we win. Steve, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it, my friend.
1: Thanks again to Steve. One quick ask. I've started a new legal series on my YouTube channel with former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner. So to keep up with legal news, which there is a lot of these days, definitely make sure to subscribe. Just type in Brian Tyler Cohen on YouTube and hit subscribe. Okay, that's it for this episode. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, produced by Sam Graber, music by Wellesley, interviews captured and edited for YouTube and Facebook by Nicholas Nicotera and recorded in Los Angeles, California. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast app. Feel free to leave a five star rating and a review. And check out bryantylercohen.com for links to all of my other
2: channels.